Welcome to the Christian Politics Podcast, brought to you by the For Youth, By Youth Productions. This podcast is designed to discuss modern issues through the lens of the Bible. Well, hello and welcome to the Christian Politics Podcast, the only podcast where you can find modern day political uh, viewpoints uh, from the lens of the Bible. And so I'm Bryson Davis, and I'm here with my good buddy and my co-host, James Seyfert, and we're just uh, so excited to be back with you. Uh, Hado was out last week. I, I hate I missed that. Uh, Daniel, I want to say to you, if you're listening out there, I want to say you did a fantastic job. I really enjoyed uh, what you guys had to say in there. Uh, while I was gone, I was not able to talk about my, uh, I was not able to talk about Rush Limbaugh uh, passing, which uh, I just wanted to say a few words about Rush. Rush is, uh, he's always been a, uh, a part of my day. Uh, for for so long now, uh, I'd uh, be sitting in class or, or wherever, and uh, I, w- I would have to turn Rush on on WHKY in Hickory. I would listen to Rush Limbaugh and, and what he had to say, uh, because what Rush said was always you you always got a good um, viewpoint on um, just by what uh, Rush had to say. Uh, I'd talk to several folks, and they would say. Um, you know, Rush Limbaugh said this, or Rush Limbaugh said this, and you'd argue with some somebody, and they would say, "But Rush says this." So, so Rush had such a uh, such an influence politically, and um, I just I really wanted to uh, just give a uh, give a, a little bit of a uh, statement on, on how much of a just just a great person he was, uh, and, and, a, and a huge part of uh, inspiring me to to want to be so political and and to want to. Uh, uh, get into uh, political uh, media with this podcast and, and everything else. So, uh, just wanted to say that about Rush. Uh, but today, James, how are you doing? We're just gonna. I'm doing well. Uh, it it's, it's good to it's good to think about those things. It's good to talk about what um, who's formed us and made us been influential in our life. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And so it's good to uh, give commemoration to that. I'm doing well. Uh, it's good to be back with you this week. We've got a great guest lined up for the today, and uh, we'll we'll uh, give some introduction on that in just a little bit. Uh, but we're uh, doing really good with uh, things are are doing good in our life. We've got three weeks until our baby is born, and so we've Man. got between those three weeks, we've got some great interviews lined up. Uh, we've got some good things in the future for us. We've got two returning guests lined up. Uh, we've got Briley Walker lined up to come back. She was one of our first interviews. I think I was our first interview we've ever had, if I remember correctly. I do not recall. I, I believe she was. she was the very first interview that yeah. we did. And she so was. she's going to be coming back on. And then we've got Brenda Millsaps, who just came on just a couple of weeks ago. She's going to come back on and talk with us. And then I've got another special guest that I'm working on right now, uh, hopefully for next week. Uh, to discuss uh, this issue that we're going to talk about right now briefly, uh, Bryson. I don't know if you're aware. Well, before we talk about that, how's your day been doing, Bryson? How's Man, your I've been going? I've been good. Uh, we've been doing good. Uh, we we you know things is just same old same old. We live in uh, this such a small area. You know, such a slow paced life. Not, nothing big happens around here. You no, know, nothing no. exciting. But that's the kind of lifestyle I like. Just we're just. Just lay back and just front chill porch chilling, guys. Sitting on the front porch drinking sweet tea and there you go. picking a guitar. And yeah. no, I'm just kidding, but uh, yeah, things have been going good. Uh, so we're good. Well, good. Yeah. let's get into two of our headlines that we're going to talk about today.
All right, the first thing that we're going to talk about is uh, New York's fine governor, Andrew Cuomo, who has been the governor of New York. You've probably saw, saw him because he was on television, whether you live in New York or not, all throughout the pandemic last year, giving his press conference the same thing every day, basically. But he is uh, facing some backlash now about his actions during the pandemic, which at the time were so incredible. The gold standard. The gold standard. You you look at places like Florida with uh, Governor DeSantis, and and what a horrible thing that he did, which I hope you realize I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) But but you look at New York and you see Andrew Cuomo uh, doing such a great job of of putting these COVID patients into nursing homes. What what a tremendous, genius, smart idea it was to put COVID patients into the place where the most vulnerable people to uh, have a negative effect of the virus are at. What a genius idea. What a great idea to do that. Imagine how many more deaths this man has caused by that simple policy of putting these COVID patients into these nursing homes with the most vulnerable uh, people. But anyways, he's facing backlash now um, from, from Republicans, which he has received backlash from Republicans all along. Uh, Democrats... Uh, who who are kind of turning their back on that? We'll talk about that in a second. But they're opening investigations into his uh, whole entire uh, coronavirus handling um, because he he did put those COVID patients uh, into nursing homes when that was really unnecessary to happen. He uh, the Trump administration had sent an entire uh, hospital ship from the uh, a naval ship uh, down to New York, which was not used. Um, you know they had um, certain emergency. Um, hospitals uh, placed throughout places, but the smartest thing to do in Andrew Cuomo's mind was to put these COVID patients with the one of the most infectious viruses uh, or uh, spreading viruses that we've ever seen uh, in in my lifetime, maybe your lifetime, mm-hmm. and, and so that that's what he did, and so he's facing in, facing investigations um, throughout, and. <laughs> He's had some fellow Democrats turn his back on him. And yeah. to top, to put the cherry on top, there are several Democratic women, uh, some in which who worked for him, that have now accused him of sexual harassment. Mm. Okay. Well, bad day to, it's a bad time to be Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. Uh, well, and the big thing is, and the reason why we use that word gold standard was because those are the words that Joe Biden used to yes. describe um, Governor Cuomo's actions and how he handled the situation. The president of the United he, States. He said this was the gold standard, and this is the thing. I want to add this clip in. Uh, I want you to listen to the press secretary, uh, Jen Pas- Pasaki. 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 We'll learn that one day. It's going to be rough for me to get that. But listen to this clip by Jen uh, on what they had to say about Governor Cuomo. Cuomo. Uh, under fire for um, allegedly not being transparent uh, and misleading uh, on on his uh, on his, the number of nursing home deaths in New York. Uh, last spring, President Biden cited Andrew Cuomo as the gold standard uh, for leadership during the pandemic. Take a listen. Your governor of New York's done one hell of a job. He, I think he's he's sort of the gold standard. So. Now we've seen uh, that Governor Cuomo has allegedly undercounted nursing home deaths, misled legislators in New York, and he called uh, uh, New York Assemblyman um, uh, Ron Kim, uh, raising questions, um, uh, you know, ba- basically um, uh, threatening to destroy him, I think was his actual words. So does President Biden still consider Andrew Cuomo the gold standard when it comes to leadership on the pandemic? 
Well, John, we work with Governor Cuomo just like we work with governors across the country. He's also chair of the NGA. So uh, he plays an important role uh, in ensuring that we're coordinating closely and getting assistance out to people of his state and to states across the country. And we'll continue to do that. And there, of course, will be a process. The investigations will leave that to others to determine the appropriate law enforcement authorities to determine uh, how that path is going to move uh, as we look forward. But we are going to continue to work with a range of governors, including, of course, Governor Cuomo, because we think the people of New York, the people of states across the country uh, need assistance, uh, not just to get through the pandemic, but to get through this difficult Difficult economic time, and that's that's where our focus remains. All right, but Jen, my question was: Does President Biden still believe that Andrew Cuomo is the gold standard, represents the gold standard on leadership during this pandemic? Just a yes or no. Does he well, focus John, on the, the, gold the president. The, pre- the president. Uh, well, it doesn't always have to be a yes or no answer, John. I think the president is focused. Well, there you have it. Uh, they went back and forth. A, a newsman uh, asked her. Does the president still consider Governor Cuomo the gold standard? And this was her response. You just heard it. Well, uh, I don't think it has to be a yes or no answer. When you asked a direct question, yes or no is the answer you can give. You're the, you, th- you are the press secretary of the president of the United States. You are required to answer these reporters' questions. I mean, maybe she should look at Kaylee McEnany for advice on, on how to do her job. Or maybe she'll just circle back and come back later. But she circled back like 300 times. Not yet once has she ever came back that I recall of a time that she circled back and actually answered the question. (laughs) So, all right, let's look at this last uh, discussion for today before we get into our guest. Uh, And this is the Equality Act. And I don't know if anyone's – this is being shown a little bit, but I don't think the the, the actual gravity is actually described of the Equality Act. And we're going to briefly talk about it today. We may decide next week to do a full episode on the Equality Act because it is so huge. Uh, But it passed in the House, uh, I believe if my numbers are correct, 224 to 206. And so it it has passed the House, and now it goes to the Senate. Um, And what will happen is is when it goes to the Senate, this is not a simple majority rule. It has to get 60% of the vote, which means it has to have 60 votes. Um, Right now it's 50-50 split. Uh, there's no way with the way the bill is said right now that they're going to get 10 Republicans to flip and to vote for this. Uh, it just won't happen. They may get one or two or three, but they won't get 10. And so now the Democrats are wanting to go ahead and end the filibuster. The filibuster, if they end that, then this bill would be able to go through with a 51%. So they all they would need is all 50 Democrats to vote yes. 50 Republicans to vote no, and then Kamala Harris would step in and vote the the tiebreaker there. Uh, so, so what is the Equality Act? The Equality Act is basically it is it is overlying is saying you know what we're going to allow anything and everything to happen. We're going to allow the equality of all transgender anything in any way, shape, or form in schools, in churches in hiring, in anything possible, you can come in and you can use your identity and you can cause a lawsuit if something doesn't happen. Uh, And in some of this area, this has been statewide. Some of this has already been effective. But what this does is it eliminates religious protection. It eliminates the church being able to say, we're not going to hire a Muslim because we're not Muslim faith. We're Christian faith. 
So we're only going to hire Christians to work here. It sort of makes sense with the philosophy of the company uh, or the religion, however you want to look at it. Um, but what it has here is it has this this really bad thing because someone could come into the church and they could say, you know what, I, I'm a man. I want to go in the woman's bathroom. I want to go into the little girl's bathroom and you can't tell me no. And if you tell me no, I'm going to sue you. And so all of a sudden it had does zero religious protection um, on the country. And so now some are saying if they can attach some amendments to this and to have some religious protection on there, then maybe they would go forward with it. Uh, but it is it is taking up a lot of time, a lot of narrative. Joe Biden said in his first 100 days he will, will sign the Equality Act into law. And so that is what they're pushing for. They're pushing to get this done in the first 100 days. He's got um, his first 100 days will be in April 29th. And so um, we've got we're about halfway there. Yeah. So he's got some things coming up. So uh, I don't want to go into a lot of detail because I think we're going to do that next week. Hopefully we'll do a whole episode next week on that. And we'll give you some more of the nuts and bolts. But if you haven't looked into it or if you haven't heard about it, type in the Equality Act. I'll share a, um, a link as well in our show notes that you can go and look at a local TV station that did a report on it and what it's going to do and how it will affect you. Uh, because this doesn't just affect the church. This is going to affect you in every way and day of your life uh, when it comes to your children and how they're raised in a lot of different areas. So any thoughts on that, Bryson? Yeah, I, I just got some brief thoughts. It, it, I go back when you when you mentioned um, it's passed in the House, but it's moving on to the Senate and they have to have 60% of the vote. That makes me think about, I always like to look back. I'm, I'm a huge uh, political nerd and I'm a history nerd and I, and I love to... Uh, think about our uh, founding fathers and how smart they were to think of something as crazy as this to uh, potentially happen in the future, pass through the House, but then um, a majority cannot just necessarily win it in the Senate. And I think that's the beauty of the Senate. I think that that can be the downfall either way, uh, no matter which party you are. Yeah. Um, but but I think that is really a great thing because that has stopped a ton of dangerous liberal uh, and even socialistic uh, policies uh, from from going through, and, and as far as far as President Biden uh, signing that, I, I'm not sure when he says that. I really haven't. I've heard of the Equality Act, but I've never studied it. Yeah. Maybe by the time it passes through the Senate, maybe he'll forget by then. I'm not <laughs> sure. But anyways, that's we'll break that down next week. We'll talk more about it. Yeah. But that is huge. It, it, this is such a major uh, thing uh, for for we as Christians and, and people in the church. This is uh, really a big thing, and it's not being covered. It's not being talked about. I, I did not know the extent to this. I've heard of the Equality Act, mm-hmm. but you don't get elaboration on it by no. any media, Fox, CNN, ABC, MSNBC, no matter who, who it's coming from. Maybe locally, you might get some locally, but yeah. again, there, it's not being elaborated on how, how huge and impactful that this is. So this is huge, this is important, and it's, we're going to have to break it down uh, later. So Yeah, well, and you, when you mention that filibuster, it is so important because... Uh, in an everyday life, you think, okay, well, a simple majority would be fine. Uh, but when it comes to these big issues and actually going into law, that's the reason why this filibuster is there. Uh, and if the, let's just say, hypothetically, the Democrats are able to get rid of the filibuster. Okay, they're only thinking about right now. What can we shove through right now? And they're not thinking about the future when they may not hold the, the majority in the Senate. Well, now we'll, uh, we don't want you to have 50%. We want that filibuster back. But once it's gone, you can't get it back. And so as as conservatives, we think, okay, this is good. This is going to protect us and protect our nation uh, because, okay, if you can get 60 senators to vote, well, by all means, let's do that. 
but if you can't, then it shouldn't go through. So, so this is protecting us in the long run, not just in the immediate. And a lot of times, uh, some of the, some of the people on the left side, not all are bad, but some of the people on the left side, they see that, they hear that, and they say, okay, let's just get rid of it because it's not good. It's not giving me what I want. It's not giving to me now. So let's get rid of it so that we can have our way. Yeah, another thing I want to point out is uh, one of the most beautiful things about this country is America was built on compromise. Mm-hmm. You have uh, part of the reason that I believe this is in place because if there's a bill such as this that is so liberal, so far wing, uh, far left wing, or, or even right wing, um, just way, way off, just such a radical thing. Um, if you have something like that, then obviously you're not going to have as many people to vote to support that. But when you have something that is a compromise, something that is positive, something that is good for the country, then you will have the 60 votes. You'll have Democrats, and you should have Republicans both voting on the same thing if it's a good compromise and a good thing for the country. But obviously you won't have that, and that's why they want to take away the filibuster is because they know the Republicans won't vote it because this is a disastrous um, bill that is being placed in front of the Congress. And they know that um, that's the only way that it will get passed is if they take away that filibuster. So. Yeah, that's we'll get on that later. But all right. Well, it's good to have with us today Chad Adams uh, from Wilmington, North Carolina. I believe is where he says that, and uh, we're excited to welcome him to the show. Uh, Chad, he's got a, a long history in politics and political analysis would be a good term for that. And so, Chad, welcome to the show. Sort of tell us about yourself, your background, where you come from. Introduce yourself to our guests. Oh, geez, you just opened that one up. Well, I've been around for a while, sadly, I guess. But uh, I'm down just south of Wilmington, Oak Island, North Carolina right now. I own the Big Talker FM 106.7 in that market. And have been around the political games really since the late 80s when I was a newspaper editor at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington and realized how left-leaning all of the UNC papers were. It was about 14 at the time, and we were the only conservative paper And you saw that bias on campus. And I never really felt that I was overly conservative. It was just kind of a way of being. I believed in freedom, you know, the founding of the country and free markets and capitalism. And yet when you start talking about that, you get a lot of pushback from people that don't believe those same things. So that's where it all started. Great. Uh, Well, what now you had a show, the Chad Adams show, and uh, I listened to it when I was in Kannapolis. That's sort of where I fell in love with with your show, uh, sort of geeking out a little bit by able to actually talk to you today on our show. Um, but uh, after you stopped your show, I sort of transitioned to I don't know if you've ever heard of Todd Starnes, Todd Starnes Radio. Um, and I listen to Todd cast all the time. Uh, you and him have a lot of familiarity as far as your voice and what you talk about. Um, what's your plans as far as the future? You know, we talked a little bit about, uh, at the beginning about the show and chat Adam show. What's your plans there? Uh, anything in the works? Well, I guess I should go back a little bit and kind of fill in some gaps that I unfortunately left. So after college, and was working in Research Triangle and then kept, you know, Rush had just uh, come out for a few years. And, you know, kind of like you, I found this similar voice, something I could relate to and started getting involved in politics more and more in in the county I was living at the time, not too far from you guys. Well, about an hour and a half, but Lee County in the central part of the state where I ran for and, and became a county commissioner for two terms. And while there, ended up working at the John Locke Foundation, uh, at the time, very conservative think tank, 
And from there, just kept escalating and doing a lot of what you're doing. So when I was touring the state, giving about 200 speeches a year, kept sitting in as a guest at all the stations at WBT in Charlotte or PTF in Raleigh or WWNC up in Asheville and down east, even on the talker where I eventually became a morning host. And it just kept becoming something that you realize how many people think like you guys. And those are the kind of things that that make a difference when people like you get involved and, and, and people realize that there are people like you, like me, all over the state that are fighting for these freedoms, whether it be uh, fighting against a local tax increase or fighting to merge government to make it simpler and easier on folks to understand, or even fighting at the statewide level for lower taxes and more freedoms and getting rid of these you know, boards and commissions that really crush and are oppressive toward business. So those are the things that, that really created that. And having been as in, in elected office for a while, you realize how much of this local control matters. So to that end, that's when I ended up, I get, got an opportunity to be a talk show host in the Wilmington market where we were number one for years. And then a couple of years later, decided to buy the station. And so now we have the, the number one talk station in Wilmington. And, and that voice, because so much of media punditry is very left-leaning. So whether it's print media or televised media, a lot of it does have a left slant. And it's not always that it's slanted, it's that they don't know the questions to ask. You know, say, well, a tax increase is proposed and it'll have this impact. But what does that mean? Why are they doing a tax increase instead of finding other ways to cut money? So when you have a talk station like I have now, we cover local issues, we cover national issues, and it really can make a difference. And it's important because there's been a huge diminishment of, of conservative talk in North Carolina. So you guys doing your podcast needs it needs to proliferate and it needs to be successful. That's great. And, you know, that's that's sort of what we've done the first 20 episodes is just try to educate people as we went through the election, give on good talk, give good people that are going to give their biblical values um, and educate people on where they stand and why they stand at where they're at. So I think Bryson's got a question here for you. Yo, hey, Chad, it's uh, great to have you on the show today. Uh, We want to start our uh, questions today. We want to ask you about the education system and Governor Cooper's previous executive orders um, versus saying wanting children to return to school. And, you know, beforehand with uh, the whole virus situation, that was certainly not the case. So we want to get your thoughts. Um, well, on this is near and dear for a variety of reasons. And I want to backfill this one so I don't sound like a loon. Uh, <laughs> you know, when, when you're a county commissioner, you're responsible for funding property taxes, pay a good chunk of local educational dollars that go in your system. They pay for the schools. You have bonds, you have tax increases, you have certificates of need that build the infrastructure for schools. And I know having worked at the Law Foundation, my time there looking at educational issues. And also now I sit on a a board for a charter school system that has four schools in the Southeast part of the state, the Roger Bacon Academy charter day school system. And we just had a board meeting yesterday. So this is huge. And my wife, don't tell many people, she's been a deputy superintendent of public instruction in Raleigh for the past few years. So this is near and dear. Okay. the, The governor comes out and says, you know, during the pandemic that he's going to basically close the schools and then later on, and all saying it's about science, and yet more and more science says that you know younger kids don't spread it, don't get it, don't are not a problem. And he gives this modified order where they can open A, B, or C, A fully open, B partially open, C distance learning. The distance learning is damaging; it's creating havoc. You guys have seen this. You know what's happening to you, your friends, your social life, your mental state. Not you personally, but meaning the the whole yeah. way it's happening. Mm-hmm. And as more evidence services that the schools need to be open, the governor signals that he's for schools opening. He says he encourages them. 
but he didn't remove the executive order that closed them. He can actually get rid of that. And then the school systems kind of are put in a situation where they need to find a way to get open rather than finding a reason to be closed. We've got billions of dollars going into the school system that hasn't been spent. Hundreds of millions of dollars here in North Carolina that they haven't found a way to spend. They don't even know how to spend it because it's so, so much money has been plowed. And when you don't have any kids in the schools and you're spending billions of dollars, what are you really accomplishing? So we need to get our schools open. We need to get our kids back to some kind of normalcy. They need to interact. If you take kindergarten through fifth grade, these kids aren't interacting with people. They've got masks on. They can't see people's facial expressions. Young, young kids have trouble mimicking and learning how to make noises and learn the language. We have so many challenges. We must get our schools back open. The numbers are heading in the right direction. And the governor has been very, the one question he won't answer is, what are the metrics? What yeah. is the number? What, what are we looking for that would open and get rid of all of your dictates, which are mandates without legislative approval, which is really weird that we accept that as normal in any way. Yeah. And then when he comes up with 30% here and 50% though, there, those are arbitrary numbers. There isn't a scientific formula that it comes out and you do it and it comes out with 50%. It's arbitrary. It's just made up numbers that sound good while still telling you and me and the rest of the state that it's, science and data. Yeah. And that is, that is so huge because uh, we are seeing so much of the depression. We're seeing the kids that are, that are in our community that are just, they don't want to talk to anybody anymore. They're okay with just sitting in front of a screen and totally disconnecting from everything. Um, And I think it's going to have a greater impact. And I love what you said. If he would just get rid of the executive order and let the counties decide county by county, uh, I, we've said that from the beginning. Let's let each individual county mandate whether they should have 50% closing or or have re- restrictions in their restaurants because they're gonna those county commissioners are gonna know better than a you you can't compare Hidnight that's got just a couple of thousand people to Charlotte that's got millions of people. It, it just doesn't make sense logically. It's a uh, cobocracy. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, let's transition. What are, what's your thoughts on this WRAL? I know this is a news article that came out a couple of weeks ago now toward the Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson uh, with the KKK and the elephant uh, that came out. What's your thoughts on that? Again, this goes back to education and what people don't realize. In North Carolina, our Constitution creates a state board of education and a superintendent of public instruction, and they both have quite a bit of power. But if you were to ask North Carolinians who runs the education system, many think the governor does, many think the superintendent does, many, very few know that the state board has a lot, a great deal of power. Then they look at their local superintendent, their local school board, it's a mess. Nobody knows who runs things. But that state board of education has become one of the most left-leaning, dangerous organizations in the state. And they started pushing for this, uh, you know, racial justice. They started pushing more for critical race theory, which is something that started in law schools in the 80s, that basically is an attack on a white race to basically say everything wrong with the country is due to white people. And they want to indoctrinate kids at third grade. And they started pushing this. And the superintendent, who is a Republican, Catherine Truitt, brought it up. And so Mark Robinson pushed back against this to say we had a black president, we have a black lieutenant governor, we are not the nation we once were, and we confront our mistakes and fix them. To which WRAL, that was a bridge too far. They post a very difficult, I mean, it's just a horrible cartoon as alleging that a black lieutenant governor is a member of the KKK because 
He's Republican. And this is the kind of race baiting that WRL has done and become WRL a good example of that left-leaning media, capital broadcasting, all of their editorials, all of their editorial cartoons. And by the way, that cartoon was drawn by an eighth grade teacher from Johnston County. So that's how he feels. And he's teaching your kids. That's an indoctrination. So there needs to be pushback against WRL and the hypocrisy they illustrate on a day-to-day basis, even in their news coverage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We want to talk about the North Carolina economy uh, post-COVID. You know, we know how it was before COVID, but see, when you have uh, the introduction of the coronavirus and the whole pandemic, you have businesses shutting down, um, things just completely stop. So what are your uh, what is your analysis of the current economy in the state? Well, again, you know, we we talk show hosts get to observe and look back and you look, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, and it certainly affected my business too. I also am involved in medical travel. And uh, that business uh, came to a screeching halt because you couldn't travel. You couldn't go out of the country and businesses were shut down. So their patients that needed surgical procedures couldn't go and have their knees replaced, their hips replaced. So, this state, in many blue states, our governor obviously leans left and, and, and shut down many aspects of our economy. Meanwhile, Florida and New York are really good examples of what to do and what not to do. While Florida kept things open and saw COVID cases rise like North Carolina, it's also seen them drop like North Carolina. So there's no indication that anything North Carolina did was better in any way than what Florida did. Meanwhile, yeah. New York, which shut down everything, saw cases rise. And it turns out that the policy of sticking sick COVID patients in nursing homes led to killing thousands of people and yet was held up, wrote a book about leadership in COVID, the governor of New York, also a very good friend of our governor, Cooper, who went to New York to raise millions of dollars. So I think that North Carolina needs to, we need to press the governor on what conditions need to exist to fully open back up. The governor will not answer that question. His staff refuses to answer that question. They refuse to address it, but it needs to be pressed. And he's been losing in court. He lost in, on churches, as you guys know. He was yeah. losing on the bar front. So as he gets close to a, to a loss in court, he acts like he opens things up for science and data. And the truth is the legislature is finally waking up from its slumber and starting to push back against this. We had North Carolina's in a great position. It's got low taxes, some of the lowest in the Southeast. It had pushed taxes down for personal, which led to kind of a boom in the economy. And, and, and there's a, a desire to really grow this economy. And we're in better shape than we thought we would be. But we need to let entrepreneurs and capitalists pursue their dreams and grow this great state. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I loved how you said that uh, you look at the difference between Florida and New York. We did that on this last episode with Daniel Odom, and we talked about how the media isn't covering Florida in a positive light. They're showing Florida as a negative light, and they're showing New York as this gold standard. And I, I don't understand it because the numbers are, as far as population, economically, age-wise, they're very similar uh, but one was a devastation, New York. One was a success story, really. But when you mentioned DeSantos, he was the the worst governor that we've ever had in the history of the world, it looks like. Um, so, Well, DeSantis is interesting. I was in Florida two weeks ago. I was in Miami. Uh, the place is open for business. You can go to restaurants. The, Dade County has a mask mandate, so you have to wear a mask when you're out in public, not exercising and stuff, but you're on mass transit or anything. You know, you're on an Uber, you have to wear your mask. 
Fine, that's a local ordinance, but it's open for business. There are thousands of people there. The place was packed, couldn't find a hotel room hardly in Miami. Now CPAC is in Orlando, Governor DeSantis speaking there. But but again, Florida has a, a lot of retired people. They have a lot more people at risk relative to the size of the population than even a state like North Carolina. So they are handling it very well. They're, they're trusting citizens to do what's in their best interest, which is to not get sick. But again, we're finding the disease more survivable. There's better treatments. There's better, I mean, it's a horrible situation, but it's gotten better because we evolve. We learn the human species does that. We survive, we've survived worse. We'll survive this and we should be able to come out stronger, but you find the worst instances of problems are caused by government, not solved by government. Yeah, and that, that is so true. When we put the the power to the people and let the people make wise decisions, it's shown and proven that they will make good decisions. They're going to look out for their own safety. They're not going to put themselves in harm's way for the most part. You have some outliers that are just people that are daredevil, crazy people. They're going to do whatever they want. Uh, but for the most part, they're going to be safe, and we should just let the people make those decisions. Uh, let, let's ask some person. We're turning criminals loose. We're turning about 30% yeah. of our prison population loose. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Didn't mean yeah. to interrupt. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, let's let's transition to just some more some personal things. Uh, we'll sort of wind this down. Who is someone, or has been a role model to you, or someone that you've looked up to uh, as far as your political life? Who's? Yeah, I know you mentioned Rush, uh, but who's someone that that sort of has inspired you to do what you're doing? I mean, I like people who are consistent. You know, I've always marveled. There were there were flaws with Jesse Helms, but at the same time, he had an ideological that stayed the same. Whether if, if there was a vote in the Senate for 99 to one, sometimes we knew who that was. But it it's not just that. I mean, there were people in the in in Democrat circles that were just as consistent. Sam Nunn of Georgia was another guy who was very consistent in his political beliefs. Joe Manchin in West Virginia, I think, is a Democrat who's very consistent in his political beliefs. And I can respect that. To a certain extent, I can respect someone like Bernie. Not that I agree with Bernie, but I'm saying he's a socialist and he he doesn't he doesn't try to hide it and be something that he's not. Yeah. And so I, I admire consistency. And I was very blessed to work on a county commission board with a guy named Herb Hinks, who was the chairman when I was vice chairman. Herb was in his late 70s at that time, but he was extremely consistent. And his line to me was always like, Chad, the key to solving any problem is understanding it. 95% of the time, if you understand that problem, 95% of that problem it doesn't take a lot to solve the problem. And so many people look at governance as a way to solve problems. And oftentimes it's finding a way to get government out of the way. And if a little bit of biblical, I don't preach on my shows and in my appearances, but you guys have a Christian slant. And I always marvel at the scripture when Jesus is referring to how we should conduct ourselves and we should look out after our fellow man. We, the individual should take care. Jesus never said Rome should do all of those things. He didn't say that big government should solve any of these problems. We as individuals have an incumbent responsibility to be charitable, to take care of our fellow men, to love our neighbors, love ourselves. Those are critical aspects of Christian faith. But too many people take that to mean that as a Christian, you need to go out and create massive government programs. And then they never look back and say, man, after 30, 50 years of the welfare state, we have more poverty than ever. Uh, 64, over 50 years of civil rights legislation, and as allegations of racism abound. So at what point do we start pushing back and say, wait a minute, 
stop this virtue signal wokeness. We have real problems in the world and you guys are fabricating problems because life is so good in this country that you have the time to make up problems that we're wasting time solving. That in a third world, I grew up in Puerto Rico, it was a very different world and the problems that we faced in Puerto Rico than we face here in North Carolina. We didn't, a lot of people didn't have the time to just go out and, and, and scream about being a perpetual victim. And there's nothing about our faith that says we're perpetual victims. We overcome our problems. We work together as a society to do so. Yeah, that's so true. Absolutely. I love, I want to go back to uh, when we first asked you, when you start and you're talking about uh, who, who you've looked up to and you talk about consistency. And, and I really like that because we look in Washington today and, and you look at these people. Um, I want to use Mitch McConnell as an example. You see him recently um, on the entire uh, impeachment deal that, that was going on uh, with the second impeachment of Donald Trump. And he says that Donald Trump has committed impeachable offenses, but then he votes to not impeach him because he doesn't think that it's right to impeach a president who has already, who has already left the office. Um, and just a few days ago, he's on Brett Baer's show on uh, Fox News at six o'clock. And he says that if Donald Trump was the nominee of the Republican Party, that he would uh, get behind him and support him after he's already, uh, frankly, turned his back on Donald Trump. So you see a lot of that in Washington. You see a lot of Switching back, so I, I'm with with you on that. I, I admire people that have uh, remained consistent, whether I agree with them or disagree with them. I'm with you a hundred percent. And Mitch that. is a very good example. Look, there's a reason that Congress has about an 18 percent approval rate, mm. and that's because people look at D.C. and to survive that swampiness, you have to be shifty, and it, it, it and it rewards being shifty. And Mitch McConnell is very good at, at navigating the swamp in a way that allows him to get the votes he needs to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. But it doesn't give him a record of consistency. And that's what is problematic. And luckily, I think that one thing that Trump has done is we have a number of people like Rand Paul and Cruz and Jordan and others that have become remarkably consistently conservative and constitutionally based. And that's important. When the Constitution becomes irrelevant, so does the country, because the country, the degree to which this country is held together by a piece of paper. Think about that. Most countries are held together by people, the dictators, kings, leaders, tough-handed leaders. We're held together by respect for a piece of paper that has a set of rules that govern us. The minute that becomes irrelevant, so does the country. And yeah. so it is important to keep the founding and the history in place. And the people that are pushing against that, they know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to get rid of that document so that they can mold the country and say, oh, all these other people that failed at socialism, they just did it wrong. We'll do it right. But we don't see pictures of Venezuela or any other socialist country being put up as examples of what we want to be. And people aren't creating caravans to go to Venezuela. They're creating caravans to come to this country. Absolutely. That's that's great. Um, we're going to we've already sort of uh, talked about this with the whole uh, WRAL incident. But I want to ask you, uh, with race being a very sensitive topic in America today, obviously, it, it's talked about constantly. You, you saw it went on uh, pretty much all of last year throughout the summer. Um, where do you stand on this issue and, and what are your thoughts just generally on what has went on regarding uh, race in this country? I wish we, I'm very concerned about the narrative of trying to castigate any race as the bad guy. And right now it's the, the, the push, you know, if, if you are white and you happen to defend yourself in any way, you're either a supremacist or a bigot. 
Uh, mm-hmm. If you're, you know, if you're black, you're supposed to be a perpetual victim. And if you're a Republican black, you're castigated and called names, and it's acceptable to call you names in public. And that's an unfortunate reality. We are a diverse country in thought, in race, in culture, in backgrounds, ethnicity. And I think a lot of our differences are because we want to create tribalism. We want to create the bad guy and the good guy or good gal and bad gal or whatever you want to call folks. But I, I think we've got to get back to some kind of common sense way of being. And I realize that, look, America, the beauty of this country is we have flaws. We have had flaws from the beginning. It's an imperfect country. And the founders recognized that it's imperfect. When Jefferson was writing the Constitution, he fully recognized that slavery was a problem. It's just to create the country, he had to create the country first and then knew that that, that, that problem would become relevant and, and have to solve itself. And it did you know, almost 100 years later. And yet we're still solving our problems. The issues of, of who could vote, women's suffrage, a World War I, II, a Great Depression, a World War, Vietnam, civil rights. The real civil rights struggle was in the 60s. We've solved most of that. This is now more a millennial kind of woke snowflake way of looking things. We only in America do poor people drive cars, have cell phones, large screen TVs. I don't mean to diminish the challenges of poverty, but to sit there and create this world where everyone can be a victim. If you are a victim and you're a perpetual victim, that means none of what happens is ever your fault. And so we've got to get away from that and realize that we all have an incumbent responsibility to be citizens, regardless of our race, background, sexual preference, whatever, that equal rights for all, special privileges for none. And that's where we need to get back to. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true. Uh, Well, Chad, we want to thank you for coming on the show. Are there any closing remarks that you have for our audience or for anything that you want to say to close it up? And then uh, we'll be done for today. I want to thank you guys. I think it's very important your audience understand the importance of what people like you are doing. And I hope that they will tune in. I hope they will listen because we have, I'm so glad to see young folks that are caring enough to get a message out there. I think your message is not is not one of intolerance. Your message is one of freedom, of capitalism, of Christianity, of your faith. Don't be ashamed of your faith. We need to be proud of who and what we are without being discriminatory toward any other group. So I, I'm very proud of what you guys are doing. I hope you continue to do what you're doing and, and look forward to hearing more as you guys go through school and start doing other things. So please do stay in touch. Great. Well, thanks for coming on, Chad. It was a pleasure talking with you today. Absolutely. Good job. Well, that was such a great interview with Chad. I think, thank him for coming on uh, today to our show. Man, it was a great time, a great interview. We hope you enjoyed it just as much as we did. And uh, we're going to go ahead and close the show in prayer, and then we'll let Bryson give us some closing thoughts. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be able to be on this platform I thank you for Chad giving us that encouragement today to continue on. Uh, sometimes uh, we feel like people aren't listening, but we hope, for Father, that you would get the honor for it. Hope that we'll just be a conduit of information to be able to get truth out there, to be able to get information out there, to be able to help people overall. And uh, we just thank you for your freedom that you've given us, the freedom that we have in Christ. And uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, that's the show. Such a short time we have with you. but such a great time we had. Um, if, if you want to uh, contact us, reach out to us. We, we really want to uh, hear from, from you guys, and we enjoy when you do contact us. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. So 5byproductions at gmail.com is our email address. We want to hear uh, emails from you. We have uh, audio message available on Anchor FM. We're available on every platform, but you've already found that out because you're listening to us somehow. So until next time, God bless.
Thank you for listening to this podcast presented by FYBY. If you enjoyed the content, please leave a rating or review and check out our Facebook page for more content.